Today's podcast, Doug Peterson. What happened with the tank game? What happened with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz? And is he going to start coaching again? Uh, we'll do an open on this week in the NFL. And our first ever 2021 Bill Tom Legacy Rankings. We'll update those. We do a little on local news and life advice that goes way too long. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Buy so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Buy Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Buy and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. NFL Week 10 in the books. Your headline is the Green Bay Packers, 17-zip against Seattle. That was a grind, huh? I mean, the whole time you're like, how is Green Bay not winning this game by more back-to-back end zone picks? Uh, pump for Jamal Adams press conference. It'll be two hours long on his pick in the end zone. Uh, but Green Bay right now is 8-2, and 4-0 at home, and the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, remember, the only team that gets the bye week in the playoffs, that's the one seed. Let's look at a couple other factors here for Green Bay. Their remaining strength of schedule is 26th because their division Second best team in the division is the Minnesota Vikings, but they're four and five. They could argue a bunch of different wins, losses, but as we tell you, you can't listen to the coach after a disappointing season and talk about all the one score games they lost, one possession games that they lost, because that's basically the league for the most part, except for the horrible teams. Um, but Minnesota has a real valid. Did you see the stat yesterday? Minnesota is the only team in the NFL that has had a seven point or more lead in every single game this season. So Minnesota's had some that could have gone their way, but I don't think you can also turn it into saying, hey, we should be 8-1. and one. You can't count every close loss as a win by ignoring every close win that also stays as a win, right? You can't do that. All right, so we know the division isn't tough. Um, the rest of the schedule isn't tough. They get a couple teams coming up, though, that there's some, some better teams. They have like two games where you're like, okay, that's going to be tough. We'll see what happens. I still think Arizona should have won that game, but they didn't. All right, so... The bigger part of this is the defense. We realize Aaron Rodgers is going to dominate the headlines because of everything that's gone on with Aaron Rodgers the last couple of weeks. All right, This is not a surprise, but what's been weird is that the rest of the Packers' success has drafted off the Aaron Rodgers vaccination, non-vaccinated headlines. Uh, defensively, some of the metrics aren't crazy, all right? Um, but they've been getting better. But then if you look at some of the opposing numbers, just straight, you know, more of the traditional stuff, yardage and points, they're number three in opponents' points and they're number three in opponents' yards per play. So this defense is stepping up 
um, which has always been kind of my criticism of Rodgers, the quarterback, and that he's so mad about the situation. And now it looks like they are geared up to have a really nice defense through the run here of the colder months. And if they're at home, but at the NFC at the top, like I still think you can throw those five teams in a hat. Uh, one will not be healthy. They're going to have a big injury. You know, one of these other teams is going to stay clean. They might be better. They just might be healthier. Uh, but whether it's the Packers, Cardinals, Cowboys, Bucks, Rams, it's those five, uh, even though the Saints are the sixth seed as of right now at five and four. I don't think you put them in that group. I don't think we need more explaining on that one, but it's those five. But right now the Packers are ahead of all of them and they're doing it with their defense. There's something people say when it comes to college football that drives me absolutely fucking crazy. And people say it all the time and they're going to keep saying it. And I'd love for people to stop saying it because when you really think of it, it's not that insightful. But people have been saying it forever. And it is this. When you have a college football team lose a game that they're not supposed to lose, what does the analyst always say, right? Be like, well, you know, 18, 22-year-olds, you never know what you're going to get. So what does that mean about when the Bills lose to the Jacks? What about when Baltimore gets smoked by Miami on a primetime game? Or Tampa goes into Washington and loses to the football team and gives up one of the biggest drives we've seen from a team all season long. We'll get to that in a second. What does that mean? Like, imagine imagine if an NFL studio analyst were sitting behind the desk and they come to halftime, the good team's getting smoked to the bad team or whatever. It can even be post-game. doesn't matter, right? Good team unexpectedly loses the bad team. Tampa was a 10-point favorite, 9.5, depending where you saw the number, and they lose this game. Imagine a guy going, yeah, you, know, you get a bunch of 28- to 32-year-olds, you never know what's going to happen. Because it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It is... This game, we are convinced because the scores are not worth one point, but six points that somehow like winning 21 to seven is the dominant game when it's really three to one. All right. So um, you'll see a team get smoked. And really what it comes down to is like the possessions are so fragile that bad teams can hang with good teams. That's maybe why we do love this sport is that you still feel like a chance. You have a chance on any of these Saturday or Sundays for something to happen. Not so much in college but more so in the NFL because the talent disparity is so much greater depending on the schools that we're talking about here. But it happens, all right? Really good teams lose to bad teams for no other reason than it just sort of happens. But whenever it's in college, we blame the age group and no one would ever go, yeah, you know, a bunch of grown men with mortgages, a couple kids, you never know what you're going to get on a Sunday. It doesn't make any sense. And neither does this win, but again, they happen. Uh, Heineke was perfect in this game. I mean, seriously, he was perfect. And Heineke's kind of one of those Hey, we've got this guy. This is great. It's like having the 20th best point guard in the NBA where you go, hey, our guy's actually not that bad and it's a really deep position, but we're not going to do anything until we get one of those guys that's a lot better at the position. Um, and the best part of this is kind of like if you're a quarterback and you're trying to describe yourself, you go, I'm not so much Heineke, but I'm not so much Cousins. Like wherever Cousins is on the safety thing, although Cousins at times can be a little bit more adventurous. Um, not all the time. I'm, look, we've heard my Cousins uh dissertation so we don't need to do that again but i just think of like this the spectrum of quarterbacks like heineke doesn't care and it sometimes it looks awesome uh he's kind of like shorter ryan fitzpatrick and where fitzpatrick goes from team to team it's like yeah we get you a few starts and some nights it's gonna look awesome and then some nights you're gonna be like oh this is why he's on his fifth different team in five years and heineke stepped in and i'm telling you that drive 19 plays 80 yards for 10 minutes and 21 seconds, they go front fourth, they go up 30-19. That is one of the single best drives I've seen as far as like importance and opponent. Tampa's a good defense. I mean, they're not all-timer here, but they're still a good defense. 
And in that spot, Washington just put it together. They just went right down the field as slow as you possibly could. I think the best way to describe Heineke Cousins, like I would look at it this way. Cousins would is still talking about that spring break to senior frogs, or is it senior frogs? Um, Heineke goes to Tulum. Cousins is like, I like corn, but they can be a little hard. But Creed brings it. No skips. Heineke's like, I saw Pantera when I was in high school and I smoked cigarettes at the show. And Cousins is probably like, you remember that one time? Remember that one time we tapped a keg at our apartment? And Heineke's like, I own a small piece of a dive bar in Delaware. Okay, this Washington loss plays perfectly into, for the first time in a long time, yes, you guessed it, an updated legacy rankings for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I think last year it was close. It was, it was, it was too tough to call it. But I, we, we leaned Tom because of the Super Bowl. Um, so I think Bill ended up number two to Tom's number one. And I haven't been doing it. The IT department over here, we haven't been crunching the numbers as much this season with it because we like to keep things moving. But I just felt like it was time, right? So you've got Tampa losing to the Rams on the road, the Saints, which didn't make a ton of sense last week, and then Washington. You go, all right, what is the lesson here? What's going on? What's the chess move, right? What's that other thing? Um, is Tom doing this? Are they losing these games so that it's a teaching moment? Is that perhaps what's going on? I don't think you're going to rule it out. Not with, a, not with a leader like Brady. But then on the other end of it, you go, okay, what do you do with Bill? Overhauled the roster defensively. Spent like crazy finally in free agency. Some of the draft picks, not quite sure yet, except for one, and that's Mac Jones. They get him in the middle of the first round. And the reason why I think you got to go Bill 1, Tom 2 is not because of the Washington loss, but if Bill actually did this, and this is maybe what he did and what he knew he was going to do the entire time. Did Saban tell Bill years ago, hey, this Mac Jones guy went available, middle of the first round, grab him. Ignore all the other quarterbacks in this class. Because Mac was close to flawless uh, in that game. And on the other side of it, like we're not going to do a Baker part of this because this is Bill Tom legacy rankings. If, if Baker's hurt, that would be probably a good thing. And clearly he's hurt, but there's also a lot of maybe clearly Baker isn't the guy. Um, think about this move by Bill. Think about this chess move that only Micah Parsons would understand. How about this? You get rid of the best quarterback of all time for a guy whose floor might be the second best quarterback of all time and it only costs you a 2020 season where people weren't even leaving the house anyway? That's what we could be looking at. Because I think Mac Jones' floor is is number two goat. I think that's a safe floor. And so that's 40 years of goats with one year in between. So Bill, number one, Tom, number two. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand. It's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient 
the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Doug Peterson, uh, it's going to be good to catch up with our guy here, coach the NFL, played a bunch of years. And and looking at it, Doug, I was going over the resume. This has got to be the first year for you away from football since, man, like Pop Warner. Like how long has it been <laughs> since you haven't been doing anything with football? Yeah, uh, Ryan, first of all, thanks for having me on. And and uh, it's it's been a long time. I, I, I think... I think it's been over 30, 30 plus years going all the way back to my high school days of, of doing football, right? Doing something, something in the football world. And, and then of course, you know, my college days and playing in the NFL, it's been a, it's been a long time, you know, since I've had a, a substantial break like this. And in, 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 I'll tell you something, this has been a good time just to kind of step away and recharge and, and uh, just kind of freshen up and, and, and see what, you know, see what the future holds. What do you like when you watch games now on Sunday? I'm interested and I'm not interested. You know, I, I, it, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny because I always use this phrase: "Are you committed or are you interested with my teams?" And and that's of course when I was coaching and in it and everything. But you know, I, I look at it. Obviously, I look at the games now and and I watch a ton of football. And um, you know, I look at it from a fan's perspective just a little bit. But I'm still I'm still watching offensive formations. I'm watching where. You know, like the game game, you know, last night with the Chiefs on and, and where where's Coach Reed putting Tyreek Hill? Where is he putting, you know, Travis Kelsey and and guys like that? So I'm looking at all these matchups now, you know, and, and of course my wife is sitting there and she's watching the ball and, and how a fan would typically watch the, the games, but I'm I'm watching it more like a coach and, and how how's the defense lining up? You know, what are they a nickel personnel, dime personnel? How are they doing this? How are they doing that? And that's kind of how I've been 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 coached obviously but that's how that's how i'm watching the games now so i'm a little bit of a fan but i'm I'm more of a more of a coach watching these games is there one team you find yourself wanting to watch more than the others not really um you know we're 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 down in florida now and and so we get a lot of the jacksonville we get miami some of the tampa bay stuff and you know all of course those local teams but you know, I, I'm just watching what's what's on, and then and then I have you know my my home office is set up where I can watch all the games, you know, on a Monday or Tuesday, and and just just kind of see what are the trends that are going on around the league, how are how are teams using you know again certain personnel groups and stuff. But I, I don't watch you know a specific uh, team or or anything like that. I guess that I wasn't trying to do that to you, but like if you had mentioned a team that wasn't doing well, then it was like, oh wait, that's that's <laughs> no, why Doug you. Doug watches Good. those guys because yeah, he's trying yeah. to figure out um, yeah. when he's going to get back into this. I, I want to go back to the beginning, um, at least in the, some of the more prolific playing stuff. How did you end up in Washington State and all the way down to uh, Northeast Louisiana to play ball? So you know, I, I grew up. Uh, I grew up in the state of Washington, um, up in Ferndale, Washington, is where I grew up. My my mom and dad and uh, my sister, two younger brothers, you know, that's where we grew up and, and went to Ferndale High School. And, um, and then my dad took it. My dad took a new job my senior year of high school. My dad took a new job in Monroe, Louisiana. And that's where we heard and found out about back then. It was Northeast Louisiana University, which is now uh, University of Louisiana Monroe. Um, and I always I always wanted to be close to home and, you know, place play where my, my folks could come and 
and watch me play. So I ended up, I ended up all the way in Monroe, Louisiana, from Washington State, uh, cross country. Played my college football down, uh, down there in, in, in Louisiana, Monroe, and um, met my wife there in school. And and uh, so that's that's kind of home for us. But um, yeah, it was it was a journey, you know, playing my high school, you know, football up in the state of Washington, and then and then cross country into uh, into Louisiana. Yeah, fun row as uh, as that's the right. locals like to call it. Uh, that's right. Did you have Pac back back then? You know, what are we talking Pac ten offers? Pac ten. Uh, yeah. Did you have offers out there? Like, what was? It? No, I didn't have any offers. I, you, I I grew up a Husky fan. You know, a University of Washington fan, and and um, you know, always wanted to go there. And and uh, they 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 offered me a a, a walk on. You know, preferred walk on um, back in the back in the day. But um, yeah, no, I I. I was going to have to be a walk-on, you know, in one of the Pac-12 or Pac-12 now, Pac-10 schools then. Um, but Northeast gave, Northeast gave me an offer, offer uh, you know, a scholarship offer. University of Idaho uh, gave me a scholarship offer and, and decided to play, you know, close to home, which would have been Monroe, Louisiana. Now, was there ever, uh, you know, a time like, all right, you're playing and you ended up, I don't know what your size was, but you're big. Were you as big then? Did it take you a little longer? I was, to fill out? I was right around, I was around six, one, about 185, 188 pounds coming out of, coming out of high school. I was a little bit smaller, you know, I was tall and skinny, you know, growing up. Um, yeah, I was, I was, you know, in that 185 to 187, 188 range, about six, one coming out of high school. Yeah. Okay. Then how big were you when you were done? Because did but you know I you were getting drafted? Well, like, were people starting to say, "Hey, actually, you know, you're putting up numbers here. Like, this is yeah. real. You're going to get drafted." Yeah, I got into got into college, and that's you know, of course, that started to to grow just a little bit, and and um, you know, never really had. I mean, I was in the draft. You know, you remember the draft back in 1991? There were like 14 rounds or some crazy thing. It was only two days. It was Saturday and Sunday. The draft lasted forever. Um, but I was, I was at that time, I was about six, I'd grown a little bit coming out, you know, six, two, six, two and a half, maybe around 195 coming out of, coming out of college at the time. And then by the time I finished playing, I was, I'd grown a little bit more during my time. I was about six, three, about 225 when I was done playing, you know, uh, in the NFL after it was, it was a length of time. It was about 14 years um you know playing in the nfl but i I went i went undrafted um you know i was an undrafted free agent to 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 the miami dolphins and and um kind of a funny funny story how i kind of got into the league jerry stripling was a scout uh, for the dolphins back back in the in the 90s and he also worked at northeast louisiana university prior to me uh coming there and so he was a little bit instrumental in in getting me to northeast Louisiana Monroe. Um, and then he left to become a scout, you know, with the, with the dolphin. So he kind of followed my career. And as soon as the draft was over that, that weekend back in 1991, uh, he was the first one to call me and says, Hey, we want you to come down and be a, be a, you know, uh, basically a walk on, you know, again, and, um, you know, be a free agent and, and, and get, get into camp. So he was, he was very instrumental in kind of following my career and, and got my, got my foot in the door. Then the coaching career, you know, goes while you end up, you know, becoming an offensive coordinator that people are paying attention to before you get the Eagles gig. How different is that? Like you can be prepped, you can have a plan, you can say, hey, I'm going to do it this way. You know, and it's not like you're being critical of the head coach that you're an assistant to, but you're probably, you know, figuring out, hey, I do this, I wouldn't do this. How different is it when it's real, when you're actually the guy in charge? 
you know, it's, it, it is, um, you know, I, I was blessed obviously through my career to be around some great minds in football and, in you know, I was in Miami with, with Don Shula and, and, and Gary Stevens was the offensive coordinator down there. Then I get to go to green Bay with Mike Holmgren and, um, you know, and of course that's where Andy Reid coached me as a, as a quarterback coach there. And, um, and then I left to become a player, a quarterback with Andy, you know, in 1999 when he went to the Eagles and, you know, and, and, and just being a quarterback and being in those rooms and being around coordinators, you, you, you kind of think a different way. And, you know, you're, you're, you're understanding football a little bit differently than, than, than say the running back or the receiver, right. They're, they're paying attention to their position, but, and then I get an opportunity to coach. And I think all of those experiences kind of just added up for me. And, you know, my, my coaching experience in, in the NFL was, was always around coach Reed. He hired me in Philadelphia when he was still there for four years. And then, you know, in Kansas city for three years when he uh, first went there in 2013 and, became the offensive coordinator there, but you're, you're constantly, you're constantly making mental notes. You're, you're writing things down in journals. You're um, if, if given an opportunity, it's not like you're, you're, you're going against, but you're just putting, you're just formulating your thoughts and, and ideas. And, and if ever given an opportunity to become a head coach, this is how I would do things. And you just kind of, you just kind of put those things down on, on paper and, and uh, you never know when that opportunity is going to come. And, and for me, it was obviously in, in 2016 with the Eagles and you take a lot of what you learned over the course of your NFL career and, and you put all that into place and, and, you know, um, but you still have to evolve and change. I think that's the, uh, the one thing where, where coaches today have to really uh, be in tune to, to what's going on because, you know, you might have all these great ideas that you want to implement, but you know, it may not be right for the time. So, um, you got to learn to adapt, but I, I learned a lot of that stuff through, you know, my playing days with, with, with guys like, you know, Andy Reed and Mike Holmgren, Don Shula, those, those great coaches that, uh, you know, I've had a chance to work, uh, work under. Yeah. 16, you get the gig with the Eagles seven and nine, and then 2017, you win the Super Bowl, And it, it's, it's a crazy year for a bunch of different reasons, because, you know, I imagine a big part of you coming in is, Hey, we, we've got Carson Wentz. We need to figure this out. And he's on track for being in the, I mean, he was in the MVP conversation. He's having this great season and then full steps in, you win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable year. Um, I have a Wentz theory. I may hold off on sharing with you because I understand I'm just a guy watching TV. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you now. When I would work at ESPN and I'm, I'm surrounded by all these guys that played in the league and specifically the quarterbacks and they would watch Carson and I, I kept noticing he would have throws physically. They were just awed by. There were just things that Carson could do as big as everybody's arm is and all these things. They just, they'd be like that throw right there. I don't know who, maybe Rogers, you know what I mean? Like Mahomes yeah. cause the arm talent, yeah. but like that throw there. And that, that at times would maybe blind them to again, 17, he was clean. Some of the colossal mistakes that we'll see from him at times. So my theory has been that I, I feel like, He's so incredibly talented that you would always figure the maturity and the decision-making would evolve. And he's been better this year, but there's still those colossal mistakes. Um, that's just always been my approach to talking about him and that I almost had to recalibrate my expectations for him because it felt like the physical part of it was blinding so many people to who he was as a quarterback. Well, I, I think there's some, I think there's some, you know, uh, Make, you make a lot of sense, you know, with what you're saying. And, and those are the things that I think make 
make great quarterbacks great. The ability to to go off schedule, like you said, they got the great arm talent. They can move. They can make those off schedule throws that that you see from a and you know an Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes now and and Carson can make can obviously make those throws and 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 that's what really even when you go back to watching his his college tape, um, you know those are the things that jump out jump out at you and 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 I'll tell you something in 2017 yeah 2017 I mean he was on having an MVP probably would have been the MVP of the league if if you know he doesn't doesn't tear his tear his knee you know in, in LA that weekend but you know I think he had like 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions and he was really on fire and and, and doing things well and, I, and and again I think there's something to to these to these young quarterbacks today that, that come out that 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 sometimes feel like they can they can do everything and um, it gets them it gets them in trouble. You're seeing a little bit maybe with Patrick Mahomes this year that you know the turnover ratio is kind of creeping up just a little bit and some of those throws just aren't there. I played with a Hall of Famer and Brett Favre in Green Bay and you talk about a guy that can sling the ball all over the place and, and make these unbelievable plays, but eventually in the NFL things begin to catch up with you and and those types of plays. Um, we just, it, it, they just weren't coming anymore. And, and the ball was being incomplete or being turned over and, you know, and stuff like that. And you have to learn to adjust to the game just a little bit. And, 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 and so, you know, that's where, that's where I think, you know, as you mentioned, you talk about maturity with these quarterbacks and learning the game of football. You never want, listen, you never want to take, and this is what I kept telling, you know, our folks, the media in, in Philadelphia, you never want to take the aggressiveness away from anybody, you know, and, because that's what makes them great. And, and sometimes you're going to have to go through some, some sort of growing pains with, with some of these young guys until you get them to where, you know, you, know, you want them to be. And I, I, I constantly talk about quarterbacks and evolving over time, and it does take time for them to, to kind of settle in. And, and, look, you know, I mean, Tom Brady's in his 40s now, and he's just like a, a well-oiled machine, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and Peyton Mannings and the Drew Breeses and guys that, have those long careers but they evolve to that and, and and I think that's where these young quarterbacks are going you know it just takes time and you got to be patient with them but listen he made some great plays for us in Philly and and uh, he's going to continue to to make plays in, in Indianapolis now but again it's just it's an evolution of the quarterback position that and it's changing every year I mean these guys are getting more talented more athletic uh, you know, offenses are changing just a little bit. You're seeing more of the RPO game, the play action game, using their using their strengths, um, you know, to help these teams win. And I think that's the the direction in which these quarter, you know, the quarterback position is going. I ask, you know, coaches and players like on the path of a great season, like you had in seventeen, when you kind of knew. And and from what I'd heard, it was you beat the Rams out in LA, you go to eleven and two, and it's like, all right, we, you know, you could have had a great record, but then you have to fact like factor in the locker room of this is this is a really nice win wait Wentz just blew out his ACL like what was that like I was that was a that was a one of those bittersweet moments you know and especially for me as the head coach because I'm going in there I want to be I want to be happy for the team I want to be happy that we just we're 11 and 2 we just won the NFC East you know we we've got at least we're in the postseason you know we got a home playoff game you know we were still trying to play for uh, home field advantage. We were trying to be the number one seeded team that year in the NFC, and and still had three games, you know, three games to go. So, you know, for me, it was that bittersweet moment. Like, 
how how do we you know how do i continue to this progression how do we get better next week how how is the team going to respond when when your starting quarterback who is having an mvp season is no longer out there and this is where i really felt the veteran leadership of the football team that year um really stepped up and said you know what it doesn't it doesn't matter it's next man up mentality and um we you know we like thing is that year we lost jason peters we lost chris marigos we lost jordan hicks we lost carson wentz we lost darren sproles all to season ending injuries and and those were five key valuable players for us that season and and it was a you know uh Halapuli Vati Vaitai stepped in at left tackle, big V, and and played and started in the Super Bowls like his rookie season. And, you know, so we had some young guys that had to come and step up. And, you know, Nick Foles was one of those guys that stepped in. And but the team, the veterans really embraced that moment and said, you know what, we're coach, we're 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 just gonna keep riding this momentum. We're gonna we're gonna get this thing done. And I, I really feel like that was that was kind of our turning point, as you said, you know, for that season. Did you in the preparation against New England, you know, it's a different conference. It's the Patriots resume. It's been, you know, I mean, we all get it. 20 years of this stuff, the, the awe factor of, of what they've been able to put together. But when you were prepping, um, you know, and I know the rooms are a little, little different here, but like, did you have to kind of convince them like, Hey, th- this New England team's actually been pretty bad on defense this year. I mean, statistically, I like you may play nice in this whole thing, but of the groups of, of Patriots teams that they've had, they've put together, had runs like statistically, they were near the bottom I, Were there was their film prep where you were watching stuff going, Hey, we're, we're scoring points. We, you know, we don't know if we're going to slow down Brady, but we're going to score some points today. Yeah. You know, the, th- the one thing with the Patriots, and this is, this is what I've always had great respect and admiration for, you know, Bill Belichick and his defenses up there is that they they change week to week and you know they're gonna they're gonna target your top one or two offensive weapons and they're really gonna they're really gonna take that strength away from you know from you as an offense and honestly what you see on defense you know you you have to go back and watch their entire body of work you can't just watch like their last three games or four games because they're gonna come out and show you something completely different and um that's that's where that's where you, you have to be a little creative on offense. You have to kind of know the structure of who they are. Um, you know, two weeks is a is a long time to to prepare for them. I mean, they had two weeks to prepare for us too, and and obviously it was one of the you know highest passing offensive games I think in Super Bowl history uh, between the two teams. But um, you know, I just knew kind of going in that too we had to you know, we were going to have to score every time, every time we got the football almost, you know, and, and, um, but, but looking at them defensively, there were, there were some things that, that we felt like, you know, that we were just from game planning that we were going to have to do, you know, in the run game and protection. Um, they like to rush five guys a lot. They like to play a ton of man coverage, a lot of combo stuff, take Zach Ertz out of the game, you know, in the red zone, uh, maybe target, you know, Alshon Jeffrey or Torrey Smith, one of those guys, you know, in the red zone. And um, those are all things that you don't know until you really get to the football game, you know, on how they're going to, how they're going to, how they're going to, uh, you know, game plan you. But um, they've always had good defenses. They're a bend, but don't break type defense. Um, obviously, offensively with Tom Brady, they were going to score. 
Um, and that was just kind of the game plan going in. Is it true you guys ran fake plays during walkthroughs because you're worried? I know I've read it. Um, we ran we ran the Philly special and some of the other plays that we had. Yeah, in the hotel, uh, I didn't I didn't run them uh, at the University of Minnesota where we practiced for the week. Um, we we practiced them in Philly, obviously in our own in our own little world. Right, but, there, but but the point here is there was there was a concern that you don't want to run any of the real I, stuff. I didn't want to run wa- any of the real stuff uh, at the University of Minnesota. I was not going to do that. So we did all that stuff in the hotel. <laughs> for guys true. like for, for guys like what the hell are we? Why are we running this? Yeah, and the thing is, we we ran it, and we really you know you're in a you're in a hotel ballroom, and you have no room to run any kind of play whatsoever, you know, and, and, and you're just walking through everything. And just so the guys had an understanding and just kind of, you know, you couldn't time anything up, but you could still walk through the play. It's crazy. All right. So Philly we, special coaches, coaches get paranoid. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I've, I've read, I've heard about it. I'd read about it, but so you yeah. ran Philly special in the ballroom. We did. And did we you did. say, Hey, we're doing this at some point. I never really told the team that we were going to do. I told Frank Reich that if we ever get the time, you know, the, the opportunity, yeah, we're going to run this play. But I never, one, I never thought we were going to do it on a fourth down, right? And it was fourth in like a yard and a half. And two, I didn't think we were going to run it at the one yard line or the two yard line. I thought this play was going to be more, you know, out in the field, maybe on a third and one, a short yardage situation, Maybe a red zone play inside the 10, but never never a fourth and goal at the one and a half um, that I really ever, in my mind, think that we were going to run that play at that time. That's why it made so much sense for me when Nick, you know, you all hear that voice, that, 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 that sound bite where Nick Foles comes over after the, during the timeout and he goes, you know, how about Philly Philly? And that's when it kind of, you see me kind of raise up and pause and like, Oh yeah, this this is this is a perfect time to run that play. Even though in my mind I was thinking, you know, leading up to the game that I wasn't going to run it in that situation. Yeah, I mean, obviously we were a little results based, but basing time, distance, and kind of with the way the game was going, it was it was perfect. And yeah, I've seen yeah. I've seen the NFL films clip of it. Uh, I'll 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 start with an example here. As somebody that's hosted a lot of shows and we look at ratings and that's how we get judged, if I had a show that was doing pretty well and then a guy filled in for two months and the ratings went up, I'd be like, oh, I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So everybody can be a team guy. But how much do you think Nick winning that Super Bowl messed up Carson? You know, that's a great question. I, and I, I really honestly, I can't answer that question because because I'm not Carson, you know, at that time. I, I just know. I saw Carson's reaction after the game. He was he was thrilled to death, obviously, and he was excited for the next season. He was ready, he was ready to go for for 2018 and and getting healthy. And he wanted to do it again. And that's, you know, Carson kept saying he kept telling our owner Jeffrey Lurie and, and like, you know, me and and Howie Roseman, like, you know, this is why we this is why I'm here. He you knows to help help win championships and stuff. And you know, he was. He was fired up, and then and then the city of Philadelphia. I mean, you know, they went crazy back 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 in Philly. You know, with the parade and you know and all of that. And 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 honestly, I I I would probably say that it it had to affect him a little bit. You know, um, you know, they, shoot, they put a stinking you know statue of Nick and I up at the stadium, and you know, and and stuff like that. And and you know, and I, I just don't think you cannot you can't not think about it. 
right? I mean, that's that's got to go through your mind just a little bit, and and you know, and it's it's the pressure that you don't ever want to put on anybody, uh, obviously. Um, but but Carson was the type of player; he's so confident in himself and his ability that you know he really wasn't going to let that affect him. Yeah, I, I just don't. I think it'd be weird if it didn't bother you a little bit. And I'll never forget. You know, I'm more of a New England guy, so I used to care about the Patriots a lot. And when they won that first Super Bowl, and I remember Tom slapping Drew's shoulder pads after they beat right? the Rams, and yeah. Tom is losing his mind, and Drew is like, "Oh yeah, man, <laughs> this great. is great. Yeah, yeah, great job, Tom. Yeah, and Way to I go. don't." And I don't think that's anything other than you know guys being competitive. There's a line where you can be a detriment to everything, and so. Um, you know, I just always wanted to ask you about that because we, yeah, you know, and, and I think too, you know, we played, we played the Patriots in Super Bowl 31, Green Bay, Green Bay, New England with Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback. That was the 96 and one. That was the 96, 96 yeah, the season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Reggie White. and that, that, that Yeah. That was thing. gross. And, I remember that one. I, yeah. You I remember that down that. in New Orleans and, and, you know, so, you know, Drew had taken a team there and, you know, he led a team and, um, you know, so it might have been a little different for him, even though he didn't win the game. It's still, it's got to be a little bit crazy even for him to think about, here comes this young guy in the game, wins the game, you know, and, oh, he's, you know, obviously he probably had to affect him the same. Yeah. Um, let's let's fast forward to a not-so-great year then in 2020. Yeah. Uh, your last year with the Eagles. Uh, none of us can make sense. I don't know how honest you can be with me because you know the old rule is your the way you leave is your first interview for the next place but i don't know a lot of us from the outside felt like it had to have been a coordinated deal with the front office for everybody to decide like that week 17 game against washington nate sudfeld's in her after hurts is out you get destroyed on social media giants players are super mad i didn't think really think they had much of an argument it's like hey you guys could have won more games and by the fact the fact that it was in its own slot made it that much worse and then right it felt like everybody's on the same page. People thought you were keeping your job, and then you don't have your job a week later. So what happened? Yeah. I mean, first of all, the NFC East was a mess that whole season, you know, and, and all, all the teams were really, you know, um, fighting and scratching. Just, I mean, it, it came down to the end of the season there, obviously, to, you know, uh, for, for somebody to win. We, we even, two weeks to go in the year, three weeks to go in the season, we had a chance that we just win, like, maybe two of our last three or win three of our last three you know, we have a chance to win the NFC East and, you know, at like a seven and nine record, you know, and, and um, it's just, it, it was a mess. It was a mess. And, and, you know, injuries began to pile up on our team again uh, in, in, in 2020. Um, you know, obviously it was a pandemic year, some, some things there, but, you know, it just, it, it was almost a perfect storm, I guess, for us at the time. And, you know, um, there's, there's really no one to blame or, you know, one person or no front office. It, it was everybody. I mean, we all, we all had a hand in it and where we were and, and, and I could have done a better job, obviously, you know, coaching and leading the football team and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, it just, it just wasn't meant to be, I guess, uh, you know, and, and then these are things, and I've, I've said this before too, like, you know, what's happened has happened. I, I, I don't ever go back and try to dwell on it and think about it because I am pushing forward and, I'm looking forward to my next opportunity and, and, um, you know, uh, I feel like I still have some good years left and, and still want to do that. And, um, and that's, and that's where I'm at. And, and, um, it's definitely a learning experience for me. There's the, the whole five years, you know, in, in Philly have been a, a learning experience. And, um, I know 
you know, we, we won a Super Bowl. I know, I know what it feels like to, to put a team together and, and, and make that type of run and, you know, uh, win, the, win the three games that we had to win in the postseason and win the Super Bowl. And I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like as a player, obviously now as a coach. And, and that's what I'm focused on, you know, moving forward. Yeah, I don't know if I'm as focused on it because I, I, I kind of, I guess I just am like, there's no way you just were like, hey, I'm just doing this on my own, which is what you had to say. Um, yeah. But I, I think I'm, I, I think I don't know how much less of an answer I'm going to get if I keep pushing on it. Uh, <laughs> you won't get much more. <laughs> so what does that mean for you now? Because with the resume, you know, you turn it around, you get, a, you get a young quarterback, you get the best season we've ever seen from Carson. Everybody's trying to figure out how to pair up the next great offensive line with the next young quarterback. You've got the Super Bowl. Like it's it's got to be only a matter of time, Doug, right before you're coaching again somewhere, correct? I mean, you know, I hope so. That that's my plan, and and that's that's what I'm I'm focused on. You know, you know, in 2022 coming up, and um, you know, but it's listen, it's not about one guy. I, I've said this a bunch when when I even when I was in Philly, it's it's not about one guy. It's it takes a collaborative effort. It takes, you know, three great coordinators, the head coach and GM on the same page, getting the right players in there you know, building a roster, building a Super Bowl roster like we did in 2017 and, and what that looks like. And, um, you know, whether you have a young quarterback or a veteran quarterback to, to work with, just just getting that 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 person on the same page with, with what you're bringing in. And, um, you know, the other thing, too, is there's a lot of different offenses out there and a lot of different styles. And, you know, uh, we won a Super Bowl in Green Bay with the, the West Coast, you know, system. And, and then we won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia with a little more of a RPO play action game and you know and there's all different ways to to do it and um that's that's the beauty of of our sport is it, it's it's constantly evolving it's constantly changing and and I want to be able to bring that to you know if, to a team that that gives me an opportunity and be able to lead lead young men and get them to buy in that's the one thing I really appreciated about I think my time there in Philly especially during during 2020 during that last season those those players never gave up on the season. They never gave up on me as the head coach. They kept buying in. They kept practicing hard every single week. And and that's a credit to them, you know, still still fighting and scratching and, and, and trying to get trying to get it done. And that's, you know, that, and that's my hope, you know, moving forward that that given an, you know, given another opportunity. All right. Last thing here. Um I was I was asked to ask you this by Chris Long. Did you <laughs> did you make him play Week 17 against Dallas that year uh, when it was zero degrees, when all yeah. everybody else got to rest, and you made him go out there, and he was like, I was tacking Ezekiel Elliott zero degrees, the only guy in the, in the defensive line rotation of the regulars out there. <laughs> he, is it because he would cut everybody for ice cream Saturdays? Was that, <laughs> was that punishment for... Because I know you were a big ice cream guy, correct? I was a big ice cream guy. Saturday night, had to have my uh, Haagen-Dazs ice cream every Saturday. And so he said that he would he would line up like he would get ready to leave the room so that he could get it first. And there's a, there's a theory there that you kept him out there to tackle guys for seventy snaps in yeah, zero degrees. Yeah, because he kept he kept he kept running out of my team meetings on Saturday night. He kept he kept darting out as soon as we were done. He was gone. He was bolted. So his his punishment that with that uh, that season or that week was to play week seventeen. <laughs> Did anybody go? Hey, how come? Because I mean. He only he didn't play. I don't think he played the whole game. I mean, my God, yeah. he probably played the first quarter, and then he pulled him out. Like all the other guys that started that game. That's not what he said. We're gonna have to go yeah. back and look at the snap count. It'll be interesting though, because I don't know who to believe now. 
I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I was maybe I was led astray on this one. Um, yeah, you know, Chris, you probably led astray just a touch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I really appreciate the time, Doug, and look forward to what's next for you. All right. So thanks. Hey, I appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Before we get to life advice, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com, um, I was watching, I was on the uh, elliptical, not a huge cardio guy, obviously, but. Whoa. Yeah. Well, no, no. I, I do it to get warmed up. And sometimes I'll decide, hey, we're just going to stay on this. going to punish yourself for a little while. I'm like, all right, cool. That was me talking out loud about how I talk to myself when I'm on it. Uh, and then I noticed the morning shows again. I don't watch any of these shows. I don't think I'm the target audience that they're looking for. And I think we have brought this up again, but I just, I cannot tell you how convinced I am that that would be, of all the stuff that's available to somebody that does what I do, and not that I'm available to a national morning show. I'm never going to be on those shows. I don't want to be on those shows. I would suck at it so bad. I would be the worst. I just I just don't know how you have somebody come in who writes a book that you're not interested in and you talk about how interested in it. I don't, I don't know how you do it. I guess the money is really good because the money's insane. If you become a franchise on one of those shows, the money is absolutely through the roof. I've told the story before. Josh Elliott, I was like, why do you want to be on those shows? And then he told me how much money everybody made. And I was like, oh, okay. And then his car service picked us up and brought us to a restaurant. And I was like, all right, well, okay. <laughs> I get this part of it. But um, I, I mean, you know me, Sarudi, and obviously Kyle, I've worked with you for a while now. I just, as much as I'm somebody who's done this media stuff for like 20 years, I never once lied to myself and looked at that and said, ah, maybe you could pivot to that. And then I've, I've, I've certainly taken on that personality too. It would be the worst. It would be mo one of the worst like fits of anybody that's in an industry, if that makes any sense. I think actually it would be funny though um, to do, it would be like counter programming for people like us who don't watch morning television because of that reason. But to put somebody like you on there to be like, oh yeah, Ryan's going to like, you know, fight back on the bullshit. But if you're doing true today show, like, Hey, here's somebody has a new pottery collection at target and you have to interview them about it. Like there's a good chance that that interview is not going to go great for you. That was a great example. Yeah. And be like, so what's going on here? So the bowls, Oh, these are, what is it? Reharvest handcrafted, but yeah, yeah. Interesting. I mean, oh, you are so a big restoration hardware guy. So like, I, I guess you can't really rule anything out, but you know, true. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I don't know. Like, I think, uh, it would be it would be good to do a week. Like I remember talking about this during um like remember when like Mike and Mike was kind of they were trying to figure out what was next, right? And you'd always kick around like, hey, well, how would you do on a morning show? On a morning show like that, where you kind of have to be more generic, like you're not maybe you're probably not watching as many games. And I always thought like you would be miserable. Like you would hate your life because you wouldn't be able to do the show you wanted to do. You'd have to everything would be like skim surface, bare minimum stuff, and you'd be miserable. Even if you were making great money, you would complain every day, and I don't think it would be worth it. <laughs> complain every day uh there there'd be a number of sports morning show that i i would have made it work but yeah not watching games and you know anybody that's ever done those morning shifts like what time would you go in when you were on mike and mike oh like i would i would wake up at three and i'd probably get in at like four fifteen four thirty depending on if it was a good day or not yeah yeah when i, I did I the morning sleep. show when i did the morning show i in boston i was i was up at 3.30, usually 
you know, there four ish, four fifteen. I mean, because that was that was me actually being freaked out that I wouldn't be able to prep. But I would go to bed at twelve thirty one, nap for a few hours, and then I'd work until like twelve. I'd work out and have lunch, and then I'd go home and I'd sleep from like one or two to six. That's so every day was two days, and I hated it. I hated it, especially like being in my twenties. It was the worst because I just. You know, when you're by yourself, like I remember sitting there going, if I'm going to do this, if I'm actually going to be a morning show guy long term, like I may have to get married because I'm just <laughs> afraid I'm not going to work. Like I was, I was like, maybe I just get married and stuff because like there's no way I'm ever. And then if I went out on a Friday, I, I just was like on fumes for that whole time. And it was that was terrible. And uh, luckily, that show only lasted three months because I. I remember one time I had a panic attack at like six o'clock at night. I woke up at six o'clock at night and whatever the the sunlight was, wherever the moon and stars are positioned, I thought it was 6 a.m. And I called the co-host freaking out, being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll be there. I'll be there in a second. Um, I'm, I'm out the door. And he was like, dude, what is wrong with you? It's six o'clock at night. I was like, oh, okay. No problem. I'm just scrolling through like the Today Show Twitter feed to see what the like what the top because I don't even know I'm with What's you. I, I just it's not What's in my the, thing. Uh, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of Adele. Um, a lot of Adele. A lot of Taylor Swift. Uh, uh, those two. So girl power. Those two. You're probably so out totally on that. Uh, what else do we have? There's a new Downton. How about weather. New Downton Abbey. Sequel. What about weather? Weather. You could see me doing weather, Kyle. I could see me doing weather if, unless this is all about you. Well, it can be about you, the weather guy, because now I'm. You've got my interest. Go for it. Well, so here's what I would say to you is there's something called Small Town News. I don't know if you're an HBO Max subscriber. I imagine you are. Um, it's called KVPM Parump, and it's this guy who's does an independent, independent news station in Parump, um, Nevada. And just it's a it's it's absolutely fantastic. It's a small it's a documentary. It's one season. But the weather guy is like the wife of somebody who is like has seven jobs and, and he's just he's the husband that's what I mean. The weather guy is the husband of this lady who has like seven jobs. And he just, he shows up, he wears shorts every day and a, and a suit top. And he's funny. He's actually funny in like a weird dad, embarrassing sort of way. And I just think that you, he doesn't like care about all the, all the bullshit stories that run on the news. He's just trying to make the weather funny. And that's what I like. I think, I think anybody could be successful at that job. Imagine if just instead of like a, a put together guy or gal in the morning, it's like a guy who's like a little bit, stout he's funny he's got like a little it reminds you of like hank schrader a little bit from uh breaking bad and he's just like just making the weather funny don't you think that would be a massive hit all right you gotta tweak <laughs> it a bit um no i i think you you touched on something though that you know because both whatever lane you know whether it's cnn or fox news like it's very clear these last five years you just both sides went all in on whatever their side was. And I'm I'm surprised somebody hasn't just decided to like, we need to figure out a way to make something that can say, hey, the there probably really wasn't much Russian interference in 2016, but there also wasn't a stolen election in 2020. Like, and it'd be like, no way. You guys, those are your positions on two different like, do you understand you're not allowed to actually say those things? You know? And so you know, maybe like if you had Ennis Canner on, you wouldn't intro him as a great defender on the court and also <laughs> off the court. You know, like 
depending on whatever whatever message you're trying to send. I so anyway, now I'm off of my own independent news channel startup idea, but I'm not that a million people haven't thought of this already, but then you'd be held to the standard where the minute you sort of dipped left or right, then everybody'd be like, oh, you're you guys, you might as well just go all in on the other side of it. Uh, well, Taibbi gets in trouble with that. Like people try to put him in like a box, even though I kind of feel like he is that guy. And he was, I thought he was a great interview on the show. I follow him now and he's awesome. But people want to put him in a box based on whatever thing he writes most recently. And, you know, yeah, I think he's trying to, you know, mostly shooting it straight. Yeah, but you know what? After we had him on, and I love all of his stuff, and I and I read it. There's a lot of people that I like that were like, "Nah, he's he's actually he's decided to be the call out guy to the left now. That's his thing," and they're convinced of it. And I was kind of surprised how many people said that with Taibi that actually really liked Taibi. They're like, "Nah, he just mm-hmm. decided to kind of actually pick a lane now, and his lane is like the non lane." And I was like, "Oh, all right, okay." Um, Getting back to but, Kyle's idea though, really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Back to Kyle. Back to Kyle. Because the, the weather thing blows my mind. Who still watches TV for the weather? Like Locals. I know there are a lot of I know there are a lot of old people, but like my parents have phones. If, if I'm like, hey, what do I, what's the weather going to be like next week? It's a dying industry. So, but I guess it's not. Maybe it's not. I don't, is is it's weather not, a big thing? It's not for the weather. It's the treat <laughs> of the. It's the treat of this guy or this girl. Like, hey, we like her. You know what I mean? And a lot of times, I think the weather and the traffic people are like they're just kind of waiting for the next job to open up. Right? They're like, this is. I'm on at 7 a.m. to to 9 a.m. You guys see me every day. Please give me a better job. Right? Isn't that what it is? I don't know. Because in like, I mean, in Connecticut, at least like the local weather guys, they've been there for years. Legends. OG. Yeah. Get, they get the Doppler radar going whenever there's a big storm. Like it's <laughs> yeah, their Doppler. Super Bowl. And I, I, that's like their thing. So I don't I don't know. Yeah. The weather guy in Hartford, he just shows up to the Russian lady after an 11 o'clock <laughs> yeah. hit and leaves the cocktail waitress after 15 minutes. And he goes up to her. He's like, you don't work here anymore. And then they leave. I don't know. The, What's uh, up? the KCAL 9, the KCAL 9 people are like, they'll be like the weekend. Somebody's just like, I'm not coming in this weekend. And they'll be like the weekend second person at the desk. And it's like, there you go. I'm actually happy. Like you are, you're now you're moving up to the, the Saturday five o'clocks. Good for you. All right. First of Somebody all, decided they weren't coming in. The weather thing is huge local. It, it just is. And um, I don't know how it works now, but I almost took the local anchor gig in Burlington, Vermont when I was 26. So I interned there in 99 when I was 23. And then I was interning there while also managing a bar, which is a pretty uh, neat trick. And so I get done, I do the six and I do the 11, which again, I wasn't, I wasn't on air. I would, I would tape um, beta, double tap edits. So then they started letting me write scripts a little bit. And I thought I want to be an anchor. And after I worked with the anchors and I liked them all, they're all great to me. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, maybe I don't want to do this because I'm a little more opinionated or whatever. I don't know. I just want to work in sports at that point because I didn't think I had any other passions. And um, Kyle, to your point, the weather part locally, I have to imagine it's still the same. I, th- I imagine there's places in the country where weather is still like the most important thing. And I don't know if they've pivoted to high school coverage too with sports feeling like, okay, we're going to do national stories here. We'll do our local major league baseball team or basketball, NFL, that whole deal. We have to, but even the LA stuff here, they have some studio shows that probably do pretty well. There's probably more studio shows out here in LA than I realized that are sports central, but the local part of it, I think there's some people, guys that just love their community that love the idea of, like I'm at, I don't think I would have lasted, and I can't fathom me being on air at 26 in Burlington where I went to college, but I wanted the gig, 
And then I thought I was going to get it. And then they were like, oh, they didn't even tell me that I didn't get it. And then I called and was like, hey, what's going on? They're like, oh, we gave it to somebody else. You've been on air before. And I was like, yeah, all right. Well, obviously. I think that guy might still be there, too. It's a and prestige that, job, dude. Burlington, Vermont. Come on. So you do you guys get that, though, that some people grow up and they actually just love their community so much that that's it for them? <laughs> like, they're not constantly trying out, Kyle, for the next weather gig. They're just thrilled to be on in Cincinnati and, and have a life there, which actually, in a weird way, is probably it's probably a little happier. <laughs> Because you just kind of go, this is it, and I'm okay with it, instead of constantly yeah. going, what's the next step, which is what other people do. I mean, somebody's, and it, it goes both ways, the community too. Somebody's still sending pictures of their pets in and still shouting out their kids' birthdays for Fridays. Like, somebody's taking the time to email that to the station. So, you know, there should be somebody at the station who's taking the time to read it with purpose. So I agree. Small Town News, HBO, check it out. Are you trying to get a gig at that station? Perhaps is this <laughs> no, a leverage play? No, I just, play? I just, no, I, I really just want you to watch it because I think you'll just have some opinions. I think it'd be great. I know what it is. I haven't watched it, so I'm on. Oh it. God, on. so good, Saruti. So uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on the community thing. Um, but I don't think you are. I think you. No, look no, at local I, 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 I think you look at local <laughs> news and you're like, what's wrong with you? I do, I do. I mean, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll be honest. Like, and then people are gonna be like, you're a dick. I don't know. I just, I don't care. <laughs> I wrote my first job out of college. I was like a. I was a, I don't know, associate producer for a local station in Connecticut. And it was, I was, the, I mean, nice people, but it was the most miserable job I've ever had because we're covering like cat Halloween uh, parties. It's like local town elections. It's like, it's just stuff that like, I'm like, who cares about this stuff? Nobody cares. And then the weather, I'm just like, I could just look at my phone. Why, why, what's the need for this thing? But you're right. Is people want to feel part of a community. And I'm just, I guess maybe I'm not part of a community, right? I'm on my own. I've done too much national stuff too. Like I'm too, yeah, I'm too, I'm too, too like too much too soon. I'm too big age. picture guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know what I think we just thought of here though, is the Saruti ringer spinoff podcast called you're a dick where Saruti <laughs> tells you all these things that people like that he doesn't that like. are dumb. He's not into it. He's just not into it. <laughs> oh, that's dumb. <laughs> give me, give me your three movies that people love that you think suck because they don't hold up just as a sampling uh, of you're a dick episode one. Titanic is always the one I'm like, that movie's terrible. Um, what Shawshank? Else? Do you think Shawshank? Uh, no, sucks? no, I like Shawshank. Come okay. on, come on. You know, I, right. I have taste, dude. Come on. Uh, man, off the top of my head, I've, it's, it's always been that. Uh, what else is terrible? Um, oh, Fast and Furious. Every Fast and Furious movie's terrible, period. The Rock, like, I like The Rock. I'm sure he's great. I'm not uh -oh. a big wrestling guy, but like, uh -oh. those movies are just, they're just, who watches these movies? Come on, what are we, what are we doing? And I realize I probably alienated like most of the Ringer staff right now because there are probably many think pieces about Fast and Furious movies, but I'm sorry, guys. Like, I just don't get it. Kyle, will you? That's good. That was, that was like nine movies. You yeah, asked you for three and you, you just took down the franchise. So I think you above and beyond. All right, let's do some life advice. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. 
So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. LifeAdviceRR at gmail.com. Um... All right. Pro athlete wedding. Ooh, exciting. All right. Six, five, two, ten. Self-labeled is hot. I love it. <laughs> love the confidence here. My fiance's college roommate. All right. So his fiance, her, her roommate is getting married to a professional athlete in the spring. I've met him a few times and he's super nice down to earth guy. A ton of his teammates will be at the wedding, including one of his best friends who is a dude all of us would want to party with. All right. So again, his fiance, roommate from college, marrying a pro athlete. He's got a ton of his teammates there. And I guess one of them is like an all-time guy. Uh, look, I am more self-aware than the 23-year-old L.A. rich kid who thought he was going to be best friends with Mello. That poor kid. Can you actually send us a follow-up email? Because uh, sorry that everybody hated you on the podcast. I'm, I'm going to now pivot. I have a lot of interest in the Mello friendship path. So please send us a follow-up email because everybody emails about you guys constantly all the time. And I hope you're undeterred with all the hate. But all right, so back to this. Uh, more self-aware than those guys. I understand that I'm not going to develop a lifelong friendship with these guys, but it would be an incredible experience to tear it up for a weekend with a bunch of famous athletes. As each of you has spent extended time around athletes, famous people in the past, I could use your help in my approach. What is my play here? P.S. Kyle, you're a legend. <laughs> Love this one. I'll start with Kyle on this. Kyle, how do you handle it when you're around one of those big time guys? Um, well, I'm not around those big time guys often. And, yeah, you still um, are though a little bit. John Hamm. Mm, I'd be in the same. Yeah, like, but that's like that's my story is John Hamm and then Wild Goggins. That's what that's my stories. And I said it exactly. I didn't forget anybody. I didn't leave anybody out. Those two. So I guess I, I would just play. I guess how is he? Can you just run this by me one more time? How is he? Is he wants to hang out with them again. I think he wants to or be able he, to hit it off with them where they leave. Potentially wanted to be friends with this guy. Fuck. And um, that's that's a that's a tough one. How famous deal. too? How well? Famous, it sounds like, like one of these guys is a big time. He didn't put the name in. Some guys will put the name in to, so I know who it is, but then keep it private from everybody else, and I won't read it. He didn't put the name in there. I think okay. the way he's setting it up is, I don't know. Imagine if. Now, Brady's a bad example because Brady's like a superhero, you know, I'm trying to think We're talking like, like backup who, quarterback level. Like, if it no, was like, no, like Taylor Heineke. <laughs> no, no. He's saying that one of the friends of the boyfriend and all the teammates, right, that one of the guys from that team is a big, big deal. He, that's what he's insinuating here, right? So, so is he is he like sharking this one guy or is he like literally anybody from the team I'd be happy with? Or is he like, I need I need the linebacker that's like a pro bowler. To hang out with me, to no, want to hang out. I think with he's me. simply saying he's going to be with these guys and he wants to fit in and he wants it to be cool. All right. Oh, yes. this is so easy. Then, All right. right. Yes. Yes. Why the fuck am I taking so long? I have no <laughs> idea so what's easy. happening to this podcast. Oh, my today, God. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, man. Um, 
I mean, just roll with it, right? I mean, don't be too eager and just like take a take a temperature and then maybe have one more beer than you were hoping if they're that type of guy and then be like, hey, this guy's keeping up, right? And then I don't know, maybe bring a weed pen if in case it seems like it's going down that road and you're like, hey, look, I got a weed pen. I don't know. True. I just like <laughs> what is up with today? This don't take is a don't take any pictures and don't take any videos. That's the only thing. Look at all pretty good advice. The weed pen was aggressive, but you know, yep. be prepared. So Kyle, to recap, weed pen, maybe a couple extra reeves, and then I think your no picture thing is right on. Because I invited a buddy to a party that Sean McVeigh was at, and the second he showed up, he went to McVeigh to get a pick, and McVeigh was so nice that McVeigh was kind of like whatever, and the guy hosting the party was super pissed immediately, and I was like, ah, bad move. All right, so don't do the picture thing. Um, if this guy's that famous, which is the kind of famous where when people see him, he constantly can see that people are seeing him all the time, and he's been able to figure out, he's going to be able to tell in your eyes immediately kind of what kind of hang you're going to be. All right. So if you're really excited and you're sort of looking forward to this and you're going to make the intro and whatever, you have to slow play. You have to be cool. You have to start start practicing your eye contact moves as if you're almost detached, not with all of this anticipation, because once he sees these super excited, anticipating eyes, he's going to be like, all right, this, you know, this guy, whatever you want to order around. All right. Order around for some of the guys wedding. You're probably not paying for it anyway. Not a big deal. Um, see if you can get into the conversation that avoids talking about sports. More often than not, guys always like to say, hey, you know, what I liked about him is we don't always talk about sports all the time. We'll talk about what's going on with our families. We'll talk about some of these other things. I mean, I don't know how, if you're expecting to have like lifelong friendship with this guy, we'll get to that in a second. You could research a couple of things, but then this is like getting really weird here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. Be like, hey, you know what I'm interested in is startups, but in the the consumer direct consumer space <laughs> subscription stuff because you know that he is all right so then that would try a little too hard um i uh, but then there's then there's the Wade Boggs of the world who only wanted to talk about hitting and only wanted to talk about sports the one time i hung out with him all he wanted to do was actually be recognized and talk baseball with everybody which was actually incredible because he was so accommodating he was so friendly everybody really liked him he was really nice he wasn't having a good time until people started talking with him about being Wade Boggs. So some guys don't want to be Wade Boggs, and then some guys are like, I just want to tell you that I'm Wade Boggs the entire time, right? That's the Wade Boggs approach to the whole thing. But I would I would make this a point, all right? You might be hot and 6'5 and 200 pounds, and your fiancé is roommates with a girl getting married, so this is a wedding you're very, very close to. But I can tell you from experience and kind of you know, floating in and out of some of these circles, I may be fun, I may be cool, and here I am in my own little life, successful, and you know, I'm not as I'm not a zero that comes to the to the the group. But if these guys are all on the same team and they've had memories and they've traveled and they've been in locker rooms and they know each other from colleges and different camps and all this shit, that is such a tight circle that you're actually not going to penetrate it. You're not. Because these guys, if they're all like tier one friends, all from the same team, they've had these memories and these experiences together where they don't even need a new guy. All right. First of all, so that's working against you. And even if your joke timing is great, observational stuff, not too mean, but funny, couple good comments here or there, get around, they get you around, you're putting your arms around. Maybe you're even taking pictures, right? Maybe you're even at that level there's still a very good chance that you are only an outsider to that group because you're not a pro athlete, even though you're hot at 6'5". You know what I mean? Like, I can sit and hang with guys, but when I'm not somebody that went through the wars with these players and 
was was in the clubhouse, was in the locker room, you know, all these different things. There's just going to be a separation that I can't ever make up for. All right. There's just going to be a little bit of a separation at this event. Now, long term neighborhood, kids and school and all that kind of stuff. That's a completely different path and plan and chart. We don't have time for that one today. But for a wedding, the best thing is is to find yourself being a side guy because if you out if you try to out alpha a lot of these guys, it's weird because they are always the alphas. So if you're a big time alpha, you're going to have to beta it up a little bit. Um, <laughs> but don't don't have such high expectations that you can be getting a summer house with this guy on Monday. Anything what was your that? origin story for your friendship with Chris Long? Because Chris, it's funny because Chris is, and obviously like you're famous and like, so he knows that. So yeah. that's, that, that's part of like, yeah. in. but he's also a guy who like, you know, he's like the best looking girl at the dance, right? Like Chris has a ton of friends. He, everybody loves Chris. Like he doesn't need new friends, but you were able to penetrate and infiltrate sort of his inner circle. How did you do that? Cause I mean, maybe people could take something from that advice. That one was different though, because actually he and Van Pelt were like, um, drive through BFFs. So if they were at an event together, Van Pelt would seriously be like, I'm going to go hang out with Chris Long. And I was like, what's the story with this guy? And you're like, you have no idea. He's the best. He's the best of the best. Right. And then in the divorce, I got him somehow. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think Scott was as interested in maintaining the relationship once he had a family. And then I was asked to come down and host his Waterboys Foundation thing. So then I hung out with him and then all of his guys in Seaville for the night and that kind of like was like oh Rosillo's you know just like us and then um I did it again I hosted it and then it just I don't know I, I we just we're very alike in a lot of ways so I think that had more to do with it than I didn't work it in a certain way or he didn't work he didn't it research Chris Long before no, you met him that no, time <laughs> no. no we we definitely we definitely like came to this conclusion that we see a lot of the things the same way. And then he also wanted to get into podcasting. So he'd be asking about that while he was still playing. The funny thing is he played for the Pats. I didn't go visit him once. I didn't go to a game. The only time I almost stopped by his house was when I was home for Christmas and I ended up having to leave early. And I was on Christmas day driving through Southern mass. And I was like, Hey, are you guys, this is weird. It's Christmas day. And he's like, Oh, you should have just stopped by. And I was like, ah, oh, whatever. Now the story's getting really long. Um, but yeah, that was that was it. It was also weird for me to have a friend that much later. And I'll admit too, I think there was even a time where I thought I was on the outs with Chris Long, where I was like, ah, maybe, maybe this isn't, maybe we peaked, maybe we peaked and it's over now. Um, but uh, I think we're good now. All right, let's see here. What else? I don't know. Wife, you guys up for a wife swap one? Maybe we'll save that for a Friday. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to read up on wife swaps before. Hey, you know what, Kyle? There's your homework assignment. Read up on wife swaps and then let us know what you think on Friday. All right. And your small town news and on wife swaps. Got it. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I know it's in here somewhere. We had a lot of people chiming in about the compulsive liar. Which again, we appreciate. We appreciate some of that feedback. There's some really good stuff, but I don't think I'm going to share it. Was there a, a leaning sentiment left or right? Was it yeah, it's funny or no, it's gross? A lot of people just kind of chimed in about their own guy. Then somebody got really serious with it, um, and said, uh, you know, it could be some traumatic thing that happened when he was younger. And I was like, you know what? Ah, oh, yeah. don't ruin life advice, guy. I know. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think we may have even touched on that though. So, all right. 
This one just sucks. I'm going to just read this one because it sucks and it's stupid. Hey, 61170, big lifter in high school. Awesome. Uh, bench 250, big lifter. Avoided the weight room. Oh, wait, 170, 250 in high school? That's a huge number. Good for you, man. Um, can't get 185 now. <laughs> Avoided it <laughs> since high school. All right. I'm sorry that I was disparaging when he said big lifter after saying 250, but when I realized it was 170 and in high school to put up 250, that's a big, big deal. You should tell more people about that. Make a shirt. All right. So my friends and I were at this <laughs> bar this past weekend and I not drink alcohol, but I always make up for it by ordering food. I would never be the guy at the table ordering nothing. So I usually order wings, mott sticks, et cetera. We get to the bar and I order a plate of wings. The bar is not very crowded, but it's somewhat full. I went to the bartender who was cleaning glasses and I asked her for water. She rolls her eyes, gets a cup of water and says, the worst part about being a bartender is getting water for people like you. Now, usually the worst thing about being a bartender is jumping over the bar and trying to break up a fight and a guy putting a cigarette out in your arm. I would suggest that's worse than pouring a water for somebody. Very taken aback. I say, great, I'll take my water now. Later, my friend goes up to the bar and she snaps him and says, do you want a water too? My friend confuses, no, I want a rum and coke. Much later in the night, a third friend goes to the bar and order a drink from the other bartender. The first bartender rolls her eyes and exclaims, careful, it's probably just another water. Were, were you guys at Dick's Last Resort and you didn't get it? What the hell is going on here? By the way, do you guys know Dick's Last Resort? Kyle definitely does. You, get, you probably get a membership card. No, I just, I like her water jokes throughout the night. Careful, we got a water guy over here. Chris Long and the water boys coming through for a meeting. Imagine if she had said to the fourth guy, you guys drilling wells or what? <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, so you you like her? Do you guys know what Dick's Last Resort is? No, I'm going to look at nah, it. No, I think I've yeah. heard of it, but no. All right. All right. It, is that a dangerous Google search? Or no, no, no. It's it's a chain okay. of, I don't even know how many there are anymore. But the point is, is that the people are rude to you on purpose. And my buddy Sully <laughs> didn't didn't know when he went to the one in Boston. And I think every every one of us, you know, 20 something deep went to Dick's Last Resort. Maybe that one time. That was about it. It was not a go to. It wasn't like, hey, all right, we'll start at Dick's again and then we'll, you know, we'll make it over to Sansi. Uh No. So he was there. And he ordered two drinks and <laughs> the guy like didn't put straws in. I don't even know why I'd want the straw or something. <laughs> he's like, he throws straight. He's like, oh, look at this guy. He's got to sip it. <laughs> he's going to sip it with his straw. A uh, couple straws. Straw guy over here. And then he, my friend was like, what? And then he leaves the tip. He's like, oh, four bucks. Four bucks. And they're like, ah, I might retire now. And <laughs> my friend didn't know. That's the whole deal. So he was like, hey, four dollars is a good tip. <laughs> he was, Wait, none of his like, friends no. told him the deal? None of his friends told him. He didn't know. So he's <laughs> mad. He's like, fuck this guy. He's like, no, this is bullshit. He's like, he doesn't give me any straws. And then I guess the other time is if you would ask for straws, they would take like 30 of them and put them in your drink at the same time. And then like the liquor would spill out. And like that was the routine. I don't, again, I don't know. If we have anybody in the PR, can you look up Dick's Last Resort? What the nearest locations are? Maybe we'll do a field trip for it. So the, I saw, I saw yeah. a lot of Vegas. I looked it up. It seemed like a, a the heavy in Vegas. Heavy in Vegas. People just love going there and getting bad service. Two in Las Vegas. Looks like there's only about a dozen total. So I don't know if yeah. they've had a decline recently, it's but a, uh, <laughs> I think it's just a tough business model. I think it's especially if a lot of people don't get it. You know, some people don't know. Right. So then like another Sully. bartender pulled my friend aside. I was like, "Hey, it's it's kind of the point. Like it's it's our deal." Anyway, um, so 
my point of this email was it would be hilarious if this guy didn't realize he was at a Dick's Last Resort and sent an email in. Um, so he, the guy says with this, I've ordered water at bars a thousand times in my life. I've never had this reaction before. We want to go back to this bar. But this is how I'm going to be treated for ordering water. I'll find a different place. Is this normal? How would you handle order, someone ordering water at the bar? Um, look, I'm not going to tell you I, I was the happiest bartender at all times, especially towards the end of the night. But somebody doing this to you is an asshole. I mean, it's just, this is a her problem. This is not a you problem. I would tell you most bartenders would not handle it this way. Um, you know, I remember I worked at that dance club in Oak Bluffs, like on the really, really busy dance nights. The water thing could get a little out of hand because people just didn't want to pay for drinks on Martha's Vineyard sometimes. Um, and it would just be water, water, water. So we started putting out pictures and then people got really mad. Um, I think one bartender, I do remember saying, hey, we have rusty pipes, which was a lie because <laughs> he was just so Come mad. On. He was so mad about because like dance, some of the dance crowd isn't really a drinking crowd. I mean, you know, sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. Hmm. And so we'd have some of these dance specific nights where we knew it wasn't a very good shift because it wasn't a heavy drinking night. And the vineyard hours were so weird back then anyway, because you would open at nine, no one would get there till 1030. And then last call is 1230. And they were strict about it. So it was like this two hour window. Um, and so some of the bartenders would get really mad about, it. but back to the email, I mean, I'm just telling stories here left and right. I'm not even sure how interesting any of them are anymore. Um, this is, this person's just an asshole to you, you know? So I would, I mean, if you want to go there again, I mean, I hate how often we're like, Hey, just talk, like, I just order from somebody else, just order from somebody else. Or you can even do this. You know, seriously, most bartenders would be like, this guy's awesome. You'd be like, Hey, look, I don't drink which is bullshit if you don't drink and then somebody's treating you poorly because you don't want to drink. Like that's just messed up to begin with. Um, go up to the other bartender and say, Hey, look, we were in here. He's like, we just ordered waters. I don't drink. And here's five bucks, you know, throw it in the, throw it in the tip jar. It's just, I'm going to order a couple of waters from you tonight. You shouldn't have to do any of those things, by the way. But the fact that you would do it, any bartender who's like a good seasoned guy, girl, who's been doing it a long time is going to be like, you know what? That was really really cool that's why i tip at an open bar even if there's no tipping totally at the beginning of anything i will always tip and i knowing that it's cat like i'm not going to pay for a drink the entire night go hey here's 20 bucks I just want to make sure somebody's taking care of you whatever and it is one of the best investments you can make at a wedding or any kind of function or any of that kind of stuff because now that person's looking out for you because nobody else is doing that kind of mm -hmm. stuff so when you do little stuff like that with a bartender um it ends up paying. And in this case, you shouldn't have to do any of those things. Most people listen to this and say, fuck her, never, never go back there. Never go back there. But if it's someplace that you actually kind of want to go and you don't want to be treated like that by her, instead of even getting into it with her, make her look like the fool by doing something really cool to the other guy. And it's going to cost you $5 and it's going to be worth way more than that. So, all right. I don't, I don't well, know. Well, that's what I was going to say. Drop a 20 on the on on the bar at the end of the night and be like, sorry for the major inconvenience. Be super sarcastic about it to make her feel bad about treating you like a dick. That's <laughs> what I would have done. Um, wow. But I didn't. I also don't know. So you're supposed to tip for waters. Is that is that a thing? No, you said no, no, yes. no, 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 you shouldn't. You shouldn't be because I was a couple I mean, weekends ago. Because, I was in Boston and I was I was DDing. I was driving home it was the night my friend puked in my car. Good times. But out. I ordered I ordered some couple soda waters at the end of the night and I just didn't know. The, I didn't know. I, I kind of felt weird. I didn't if you want to leave a buck me. or two. You could, but look, if you're pounding soda waters all night and staring like a lurker in the corner and you're on soda water number <laughs> no, okay, 10 was not and, you have, right, and you haven't left a dollar, like you can expect that guys are doing shit to your soda waters now. Cause like, that's, that's not, there's a line like everything, right? There's no absolutes for almost everything. And you know, there's, there's a difference between end of the night. I want to, I want to water it out here a little bit 
especially if you've been a customer with all your friends and all this. And the other thing too, the guy like clearly cares. He ordered food. He feels bad about this whole thing. Your $20 thing to show her up. Most people are probably going, screw her. I'll give her 20 bucks on top of everything else um, just to prove some sort of point. So you can make the $5 point in the beginning the next time you go ahead and mm -hmm. do it. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a number of waters in your behavior. And if you've never ordered a drink and you go to a place like we had guys that would start doing that because they were older guys that would come to our dive that wanted to look at college girls the whole time. And then you're like, okay, so your, your ginger ale guy and you think you're going to get free ginger ales to lurk? Like, nah. Like, <laughs> yeah. eventually those guys expose themselves and clearly that's not what you're doing. We think. No, come on, dude. I was being responsible. Dean. I know. I know. No, you're a very responsible guy. Uh, I think we covered it today. So yeah. I don't, I don't want to keep adding to this. This was a long, this is three guys chopping it up quite a bit today on a Monday. So we'll, uh, we'll pivot. Uh, college football heavy on Wednesday and NBA stuff as well. And it looks like our good friend, Tom Rinaldi, America's best friend, is going to join us on the show. I can't wait to talk to that guy. Uh, he makes you feel better just by saying his name out loud. Thanks to Kyle and Steve. Talk to you once again.